0: to do anything else it is incredible i love it frizz free up your schedule with way go to the way t-h-e-o-u-a-i.com and enter the promo code heel squad for 15 percent off any product that's the way t-h-e-o-u-a-i.com promo code heel squad trust me you won't regret it hi everybody hey heel squad it's maria just want to say thanks first and foremost for being on this journey with us You'll notice that this episode is a rebroadcast from our archives, but we want you to know that it was specifically selected to carry you through this election week. We have curated five shows for peak self-care and takeaway to get you through the week. So make sure you listen to the full episode and we will be back on November 9th for a great week of brand new shows. As always, thank you for... um, being patient and allowing me the space to take care of things that I need to take care of this week with my parents. I'm finally home to see them after three and a half months. Oh my gosh. And uh, we'll be back with fresh content as soon as I'm done here. So thank you. Love you. Stay in your positive vibrations, everybody. And we'll talk soon. Bye. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to Better Together. When you know better, you get better. And that's what we try to do here every single day. It is Thursday, June 4th, 2020. We have uh, an incredible guest today. I'm very excited. He's a celebrated psychiatrist and thought leader. Uh, His name is Dr. Dan Siegel, and he's going to help us navigate the turbulent sea of our minds. And uh, we have a lot to learn from him today. Our quote of the day, inviting our thoughts and feelings into awareness allows us to learn from them rather than be driven by them. And that is from our guest, Dr. Dan Siegel. Very excited for that. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, Today is Thursday. It is the end of the week for us here. And we wanted to end on a good note. Um, If you haven't already joined Patreon, first of all, please join us. Click the link in the summary. We didn't get to do our show yesterday. We're going to be doing it today for you, but we are doing some really great content over there and I believe you will really enjoy it and you will find it helpful and inspiring. And if you need a little inspiration in your life and a little motivation and a little direction, I always feel like our Patreon episodes are really good for that. Um, If you haven't, Rated, commented, subscribed, please do. Um, We're really trying to build this, and we can't do it without you, so if you could help us, that would be great. Uh, In the meantime, I do want to start the day off right, and there was a clip that I saw our friends uh, over at the Good News Movement, um, who still, Jeff, I'm I'm wanting to get our our Mondays going with them. I don't know what that's going to take, but we'll talk about that after the show. Um but they had a really great video of uh, of the cops and the protesters in Lincoln Nebraska doing the Cupid shuffle so we're going to play that and we're all going to dance around like we're shuffling with them oh, I mean, if that doesn't get you in a good mood, you know, we're seeing more and more of the violence de-escalate, it seems, with minor teeny exceptions that are not teeny, obviously. They're all, you know, um, whatever I have seen is is not acceptable and not great. I mean, uh, but I do feel like largely we're having beautiful peaceful protests and i love seeing that and so i figured we would uh enjoy that together what does that make you guys feel like
1: i loved it i mean what it made me think of maria is the power of fun and art and creativity and creating unity between people funny i was in a uh, all men's glee club in college which probably won't shock anyone um, <laughs> but one of the things we talked about was it was this huge group of you know gay kids white kids black kids jewish kids whatever and it was just come on come on we sang together and um, one of the best quotes we had this amazing director and he said i one time uh he was hired to consult with like these big organizations because he talks about the power of music and dance to bring people together. Mm -hmm. And he says, the greatest thing Congress could do to fix this country is just sing together, (laughs) which that was a pretty interesting point to make. Yeah. And, you know, you look at the connections that are made when we allow ourselves to be joyful together and have fun and create together. And it makes me wonder like the power of that moving forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I bet Dr. Siegel will have a lot of research on that too definitely um, music yeah. always helps everybody it changes everything in your system um i know that <laughs> i know that when poopsie kisses i get poopsy kisses i feel better i know when i'm singing in the shower in the morning if i'm really sad i just start singing in the shower and it helps me and so um, i found
2: myself singing in the shower a lot more lately really yeah do you have I a d- good voice steven I don't know how good it is now. It used to be pretty good. Oh, okay. Well, then that means you have, like, tone. Yeah, like, I can can at least sing, but, like, I haven't done it in a long time. Okay. I used to be in a rock band. It was a thing.
0: Oh. Yeah. Okay.
2: I feel like that was, like, a, oh, that explains a lot face, and not, like, a, oh, that's cool face. No,
0: that means, (laughs) okay, that means that you actually probably can sing. That's why I was my like, "Oh, he actually really means it when he says I probably can sing."
2: My family's very musical. Got it. Are um, you
0: going to introduce the strange man in the studio with you?
2: Uh, no. <laughs> I didn't want to, but this is uh this is Ryan, this is another producer with Afterbuzz. And before people jump on us about the self uh or the social distancing, Ryan has been a roommate for about a year.
1: Living ago. in close proximity. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
2: So we've been working together throughout this quarantine in close proximity. We've been quarantined for three months. So, Although, I
0: don't think anybody's going to be jumping down your throat about it. Because, as you can see, there isn't a lot of social distancing going on anymore. That's um, true. And, you know, it was interesting. Kevin was saying yesterday, he goes, you know, we might actually get to see what this is all about now. And hopefully what we will see is that it isn't as contagious um, if you have masks and you're close together. I'm praying, because then that would open up a lot of industries, whether it's sports, music, um, and events, where if everybody can wear masks, that that would be enough. I'm really praying that that's um, what we see, because this is a, a massive experiment, in a sense, right now, with people protesting all over the world, and not able to socially distance while they're doing that
2: i mean i'm just excited to have my carolina panthers mask like come on i can't wait to get back into the well, into the into the scenes with my branded sponsored masks and sanitizer
0: it's funny you mentioned that Stephen. um i received a mask from my dear friend It's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're gonna love it. The squirrel. And so you may recall Thumbelina the squirrel last year sent me a happy birthday card. She was holding it. The squirrel was holding a happy birthday card for me um i'm obsessed with her and that's her and her mom her mom um raised her and we have uh, some little video and then i'm going to show you my little gift she sent me so this is the story of thumbelina look at how little she was i love squirrels you guys come on
2: i have to mute the song maria
0: Ah, oh, because of the stupid YouTube rules? Yeah. Damn.
1: It okay. might be hard to handle.
0: Ooh, like a flame up.
1: that burns a candle. <laughs> a candle feeds
0: the
2: flame. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah what I got.
0: <laughs> Full stock. Right? I love that you guys know the words. I don't. But I don't know the words. Will you guys look at this little squirrel? First of all, that was awesome. Thank you. Um, so uh, Thumbelina is a New York resident. I did try at one point oh when God, I was there last. Thoughts. Yeah, she had a mask on there, FYI. Um, I did try to uh, go visit, but I wasn't able to to get out there, but I will be visiting Thumbelina the squirrel. And look at how cute she is. Poopsie
2: kisses.
0: kisses. Dead. I mean, honestly, like what's cuter than having a baby squirrel or a pet squirrel? I don't know. And she's chubby too.
2: Such a chub. <laughs> oh my God.
0: So anyhow, if you don't follow her on Instagram, truly you should. It will bring you so much joy. Whenever I'm sad, I look at Thumbelina, but yesterday I, I opened my mail and I see a note and it says, just keeping you up to date on the latest face mask, face mask c- couture. I can't talk. By the one and only Thumbelina Versace. And so it's her face with the glasses. Oh my god! I mean, I I'm now Thumbelina. See my little face, my little mouth here. We see it. I die, guys. <laughs> I love Thumbelina. That might have been my favorite birthday moment ever.
2: Honestly, I didn't know that that was a thing what like i know there's animals of instagram i know that there's like dogs cats and i've even seen like the whole wombat experience oh, I love wombats. the wombats are just big chonkers but I now like wombats. i didn't know there was chunk squirrels with their own accounts too
0: oh totally totally every kind of animal for sure they have their own accounts but um the thumbelina definitely that made me happy and then uh seeing everyone doing the cupid shuffle Um, you know, nothing brings people together like music, I feel like. And, and so it was, uh, it was really cool to see that. And, um, it's nice to shine a light on the positive stuff and, uh, where you see unity happening and, um, harmony and, you know, I think all of us have had, um, you know, a lot to take in. And so it's, it's nice to have a little mental break, and we're going to learn a lot about the mind and the brain today. I'm very excited about that, Stephen. I know you're going to be geeking out like crazy. Hope so. You know, the book is uh, called Mindset, the New Science of Personal Transformation. And I really love Dr. Siegel's journey through medical school, Jeff.
1: I, I know.
0: Uh, where the doctors were like, uh, why do you care what they're feeling and thinking like, this is just about the physical. Like if you want to be a good doctor, it's about the physical and you can't have feelings get involved. And he was like, so kind of lost in the system. And, you know, to me, that's one of the, the the flaws in the medical system. You should be able to have a way to switch off when you need to do something like you're an ER nurse or you're an ER doctor and you can't lose your shit when someone comes in and they look, you know, ripped up and messed up or whatever. You need to be able to take action and be able to do that. But you know, the part of medicine, um, one of the parts of medicine that is missing is empathy. And if you don't have that as a patient, if you're not getting that as a patient, then I believe it leads to distrust. Um, And then there's kind of an awful cycle from there. And also, you know if you don't care about knowing how it got there that's a huge flaw in the system too yep. right Totally. you can't just treat the symptoms you have to wonder how did it get here in the first place because that's how you're going to really cure somebody and really help someone
1: and dr siegel's whole thing is backed by science so like he talks about when we really focus on fostering like a mindfully empathetic life, we're creating new connections in our brain. There are neurons and synapses that are created in these myelin sheaths that make our brains better. So mm-hmm. it's not like this is, you know, like hippy dippy stuff. This is all important work that science is now backing. And he's kind of the father of all this, which is mm-hmm. incredible.
0: Yeah, I am. Um... I was just really impressed with your knowledge there, Jeff, just FYI. (laughs) Um, So if Dr. Dan is ready to go, I'm going to start his introduction. He is a world-renowned psychiatrist and thought leader whose practical teachings about emotional wellness and mindfulness are a cornerstone, of course, of many of the guests we have featured on this show. Dr. Siegel offers powerful tools – which we love here, to help us navigate the turbulent sea of our brains and his development of mindset practices are hailed as revolutionary by my local paper, the Boston Globe. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Dan Siegel. How are you, Dr. Dan?
3: Fine. How are you?
0: Good, thank you. Do people call you Dr. Dan or they call you Dr. Siegel?
3: You know, at home, they don't call me Dr. Dan. (laughs) They call me Dad or Dan Uh or... Daniel, my mom calls me, but sometimes people call me Dr. Dan in the uh, public sense, yeah.
0: Yeah, I've never done that before, but it kind of just felt right, and it just happened, so Dr. <laughs> Dan it is, as long as you're what
3: cool with it. What shall I call you, though, then?
0: <laughs> I don't know, whatever you feel. What do you feel?
3: Professor? Should I call you Professor, or prof- Professor Maria, or what, what would you like?
0: Whatever your gut instinct says, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Great. Um. So... You know, Doctor Dan, we've uh, we are in unprecedented times. I feel, um, and you know, between the coronavirus and what's going on uh, in our country right now, with uh, with the death of George Floyd, with the protests, with everything that's happening, what is your overall take? And I know that might be too hard if you have to segment it. You know, feel free, but. What's your overall take on what's happening and and how this is impacting our mindsight, our brains? And we'll get into the definition of mindsight as well, of course.
3: Yeah.
2: Hey, everyone. It's Kelsey.
0: And Jeff. And we are here to tell you a bit
1: about our partner, Anchor. We know that you're a fan of this podcast and maybe you thought, hey, I want
2: to make a podcast, too. So,
1: download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Do it, you guys, and
2: enjoy the show.
3: Well, Maria, it's a great question, and it's a really painful one uh, for so many people. Um, so, let's begin, as you're suggesting, you know, to honor the current moment. Um, and we do use the word unprecedented because so many things are happening all at once. And the other layer of it is it's very Precedented in the sense that it has preceded us uh, when we look at the history of racism uh, Which will we can talk deeply about in just a moment. So I think there's an unveiling as um, You know, ariana huffington's recent, you know, discussion of the meaning of the word apocalypse You know in greek means an unveiling not so much a, a falling apart but a revealing and in a way, the apocalyptic feeling I think everyone has is there's a revealing of something that's been going on, perhaps out of the awareness of some people, people of privilege. Um, I'll speak for myself, you know, having skin color, this color, where I can walk around and people think I'm the majority, even though I'm not. uh, They can act like, oh, yeah, that's just a person that we're not going to have to dehumanize. And we'll talk about that mindset process of dehumanization, Um, but basically to to put it in a nutshell, uh, the human mind is capable of incredible compassion, where we collaborate with one another, where we take in the feelings of others and have something called empathy, which is where you can understand another person's point of view. And that capacity we have has a really interesting history but even in a given individual who might be empathic, it can actually shut off if we if we assess the person in front of us as not being in what is called the in-group. So for probably 50 million years of our evolution as primates, we've had this capacity to evaluate someone in our species, another monkey, and say, is that the in-group that I'm going to protect and care for? Or is that other monkey, you know, in the out-group and I'm going to shun them or I might even kill them? So that's been 50 million years of our ancestors have had this capacity for in-group, out-group distinction. Then in, in some scientists, they would say the few hundred thousand years when we've been humans, Others would say, no, no, we've been humans for 4 million years. But whichever way it is, we've had this elaboration of the way the brain can really have hierarchies of understanding things like our social connections. And so we start to do this process that's worth memorizing. We make categories, divisions we presume are in the world. We build on those categories, concepts, and then we make language. Mm. So let's take the language of the word race. You and I can use the word race. And in the United States, for example, we can run around and say, oh, that person is a black person or that person's a person of color or that person's a white person. And it may not be um, a surprise to some, but it's a surprise to many to find that that actually has no biological reality. It's really a linguistic construction of human minds that, for reasons we can talk about, need to divide people into in-group or out-group, and they've conveniently looked at the amount of pigment. All
0: right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused
3: and think you can say that's a black person and that's a white person when it's just a degree of pigment. There's no absolute anything. And in fact, you know, we can have uh, in our species, our human family, the ability to make babies across any amount of pigment you have in your skin. And so it's literally a population variation that some people in Northern Europe have very little pigment People who stayed in the continent of Africa have a lot of pigment, and there's various degrees of how much pigment you have. But then we name this a race, and then that race becomes a word that implies a concept, oh, my race is better than your race, and a category, you're in the in-group, and I'm going to treat you nicely, I'll have empathy for you, compassion, I'm going to be so kind to you, Maria, you're in my in-group. But if even independent of race, for any reason, I put you in the out group. Like my first experience of this personally was when I went to medical school in Boston. And I'm not really big into baseball, but I went with my medical classmates and we went to Fenway Park. And there in Fenway Park, uh, it was the New York Yankees versus the Boston Red Sox. And it was an exciting game. And by the seventh inning, the Red Sox, the Boston Red Sox, were losing to the New York Yankees. Well, at that moment, I had never seen anything like what I'm about to describe to you, But and I won't give you all the details, but bats swung by the Boston people wearing their Boston hats were smashing the heads of people wearing New York hats. Now think about that. Someone is losing a game mm-hmm. And the intensification of a threat like that, that threatens your sense of, you know, manlyhood or whatever. And these men, they were all men, were now smashing heads of blood was flying everywhere. So as a medical student, I was going, whoa, you know, these were people who were peacefully watching a game in the first seven innings. But the seventh inning stretch became the seventh inning destruction where. People had so much fury mm-hmm. for the outgroup, right? So, you know, and we can go on and on about this. I, I was a psychiatrist working with um a group called the Survivors of the Shoah Foundation. We collected fifty-five thousand uh interviews of people who survived the Holocaust in Europe. Um, you know, and people were saying to us, Oh, you know, this Holocaust never happened. It's just made up by Jewish people who want to get some pity. And, um, you know, we were collecting all the data from the concentration camps. We were collecting the information from the people who were in those camps. We were collecting these interviews that then we were digitalizing and spreading around the world. So the people who were telling us it never happened couldn't destroy it. And so now it's safe. um, And the history is preserved because many of those people now have died. But the issue there was when I went to uh, Poland and went to one of the concentration camps, one of the um, uh, tour, the per, the person giving me the tour, the tour guide, um, he had been a young kid during the war, and I said, "Well, what was it like?" Because where where the um, the ovens were at the top of this hill at madonic the name of the camp, um, right next to the gas chambers, where the doors still sealed, airtight, all those years later. Um, and we were sitting at the ovens where you could still see the bone chips from the hundreds of thousands of people who were killed. I said to him, what were those guards like? And he said, well, it's hard to say this, he said, but you can see my apartment from here. And the guards who lived next to me, they were nice people. They would treat their dogs nicely, their kids nicely, their spouses nicely. You know, he couldn't explain it. Well, that led me on a search to try to explain how mindsight, seeing the mind, isn't just you have it or you don't. You can have it and only apply it to people in the in-group. And then if you're in a situation where someone is deemed in the out-group, especially under threat, what other studies would show in terms of the brain is that you literally turn off the circuits of compassion. These mindsight map-making circuits where I have a map of you, a map of me, a map of us. I can literally shut them off. And at that moment, you in front of me are no longer human. You're like a piece of dirt that I stick my knee onto Mm -hmm. and crush like a bug into the ground. And yet 20 minutes before, I might have been with someone else who I considered human and treated with empathy. And you say, oh, Dan is such a nice guy. So this human capacity to shut off mind map-making circuits is basically the basis of racism. It's a racism, as one of the placards at a uh, a protest very helpfully said, racism is a pandemic. It is this invisible disease of the human mind to categorize in-group, out-group, to conceptualize race, and then to use words about race that are ultimately dividing us rather than uniting us. Because we're all a part of the human family, we're all a part of the family of living beings on earth. And once we get into the racial in-group, out-group thing, under threat, what all the research shows in a set of research called terror management studies or um, the way we handle threat basically, mortality salience is the other word that is, when we feel life is threatened, it intensifies the in-group, out-group distinction and then makes us more prone to doing things that are not something we might normally do. And this doesn't at all defend it. It actually explains it and says why it's so important to fight against it. And if, you're, if you look at just the, the videos of the George Floyd incidents, whatever else was going on, because we don't have all the information, but what you see is one human being sitting on another with three human beings standing by. And even though other human beings were saying, he can't breathe, please stop, please stop, please stop. Nothing changed after over eight and a half minutes. So um, you say, well, what are the going on the circuits of those police officers brains? I mean, they are humans. Mm -hmm. So now I'm basically offering you Maria uh, an explanation for what can happen in a human brain where mind circuits are temporarily shut off. Um, and despite the implorement of the other people, please stop doing that to him. Nothing was done. You can only imagine what happens when there's not uh, witness- witnessing going on.
0: So the in-group, out-group thing sounds so fascinating. And I never thought about it like that. And I wonder why. why did that even occur? Where did that come from?
3: Yeah. Well, the first thing to say, and this comes from um, some teaching from a wonderful researcher named Steve Suomi, S-U-O-M-I. He studies primates and he studies just the fact, the scientific fact that, you know, monkeys, rhesus monkeys, they do this. They figure out who's the alpha family, who's the beta family, and then for us as humans we look at all these monkeys they're just a bunch of monkeys but they know what group are you a member of who do you belong to so that's 50 million years ago we were probably you know that kind of monkey in terms of our ancestry and that monkey line just stayed going so this is what steve suggests you know why we would say it's 50 million years old mm-hmm. so it's a primate ability to say who's the alpha family, who's the beta family. And when the beta family is ready and the alpha family becomes vulnerable, here's the sad thing, and I'm sorry to be so graphic. They literally destroy the alpha family, ripping them limb from limb and throwing them in the river.
0: Because they got so the upper hand in that moment. They had to take it. They
3: got the upper hand. And and we as primates can be really, really vicious. So and I you know,
0: wonder with with the current situation. And I'm so glad you're addressing all of this because I found that, that Holocaust example to be so interesting, right? You know, you hear sometimes, you know, even with a school shooter or whatever, they were such a good kid, you know, what happened? And, you know, what I, I wonder about is, you know, where now it's, you know, a white black thing, right? Do white people inherently decide, okay, you know, I'm going to take this stance because it's uncomfortable to have empathy. So I'm now going to shut that valve off. Does that right. happen?
3: You know, Maria, these are great questions. And please, I'm going to ask you if I talk too much or too much science.
0: No. to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz-free, up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way T H E O U A I dot com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way. T H E O U A I dot com. Promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. Don't because
3: <laughs> we love it here. <laughs> okay. Because I, you know, this these are such important questions and the field I work in, interpersonal neurobiology, we combine all the sciences into one framework. And so like in the the textbook and its third edition now that I write for graduate school on this thing, it just came out and I had 18 interns work with me to try to show that these ideas that I'm about to describe you are wrong. And they said, don't you want us to prove them right? I said, no, 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 find me one study that goes against them. Let's get rid of them. Let's keep it up to date. Um, And all we could find are thousands of research um, studies to support what I'm about to say. So if, you, if, if your listeners are listening, and they say, where's the science behind Maria's guest that shows this is there? Just go to the developing mind, um, you know, and you will see thousands of research articles to back up what I'm saying. So I'm going to give you the take-home message, but just saying, I'm not just making it up. It's not just here's an opinion from another person. You know, this is science. Now, do you need to believe that science is a disciplined way of understanding reality that tries to challenge itself and always doubt its own findings? Yeah, that's what science is. So in a world these days, politically, where some politicians don't believe in science, it's, it's strange. It's saying, like, I don't believe the sun is shining.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, OK, you can believe whatever you want, but there's the sun, you know, and Here's the evidence, you know, we have you know 10,000 people standing out here, that's the sun, don't look at it, it'll hurt your eyes. I mean, you know, so science is really useful. So it has a limitation to it and it needs to be put in a larger context of what meaning is in life, but it's very, very, very useful. So, so this is the scientific view to answer your question. You asked this great question, why do we have this? Um, it looks like as primates, we needed it just to set up this complex social hierarchy and you just needed to know who's in the group that you can collaborate with and who's in the other group. The second thing is that when we evolved into humans, we developed something called alloparenting, which means um unlike our other primate relatives, now we're sharing child rearing with other people other than the birth mother and other than the birth father. We literally are giving our infant If you're my neighbor and I trust you, I give my baby to you. I go out and do some other stuff. And we collaborate as a village, right? That's a very unusual mammalian thing to do. You don't see your dog doing it. I used to raise rats and guinea pigs and, you know, mice with my kids. That mother doesn't give those babies to anybody, but we humans do. It's built into our DNA to have alloparent. Allo means other. So to have other than the mother, you know, and That's Sarah Hurdy, H R D Y, she writes about this beautifully in that book, Mothers and Others. So the the point here is that once we did that, I have to look at you, Maria, and I have to say, where's Maria's intention? Where's her attention? What's in her awareness? Okay, I figure it out by your signals, and now I go. Okay, I feel comfortable trusting you. Mm. You and I belong to one another. In a group larger than your skin encases your body, larger than my skin encases my body, we have what we're going to call a trusting relationship. It's better together with Maria, right? Mm -hmm. It's better together. Okay, so now you go, okay, why is that a big deal? You make a map of my mind. I make a map of your mind. I call them mind maps. There are other words that are used for it too. These mind maps allow you and your inner mental state to exist in me. That allows us to deepen our bond. I give you my baby, but not only is it about baby care, it's now about how we communicate with each other. And you ask me how I'm feeling. I said, oh, I'm having a rough day because of all the stuff going on in the country. It's really painful. You go, thank you. I say, Maria, how are you feeling today? And you go, well, you know, I'm really struggling, and I want to have us talk about this. And I go, yeah, that's how you feel. It's how I feel Feelings are subjective states that are really important, but we only know them if we really pay attention to them. So let's underscore that word, subjective states. In this moment, my mind-sight map-making brain makes a map of your responses to me. So I have a map of you called empathy. And it's super sophisticated in humans, really sophisticated. In fact, we even use the same part of our brain called the hippocampus, that maps out spatial memory and spatial configuration, you know, where we are in space. We use the same map to map out social relationships. It's incredible. So we're incredibly social. Much of the brain is devoted to our social relationships. Okay, now here's what we do. When we evolved, we evolved in collaboration with each other for our village. But if another villager came in we then harness the primate history we've had to say, hold on, hold on, Ria. you and I are in the same group, but Josefina, she's not in the same group. And Joe, they're not in our group. We don't know what they're going to do with our baby. Don't give the baby to them. Mm-hmm. Don't give them our food. Don't do this. No, we have limited resources. We don't have enough water. We don't have food. Get them away. Oh, in fact, they're going to steal us or whatever. So, The first thing to say is that it looks like because we became very collaborative, once we started having stuff, which was thousands and thousands of years ago, we needed to protect our stuff. And so now other people were a threat to our stuff and our existence. And when you then add to that, just to go back to the time of Portugal, it looks like it was, when... Um, You know, people, human beings were enslaving other people for a long time. Even the word slave comes from the term Slavic. So it wasn't a matter of skin color. You know, you had people of the same skin color enslaving other people of the same skin color. Um, But the first time skin color became an issue, it looks like to some historians, was around the 1400s in Portugal, when intentionally Portuguese, um, you know, mariners went out. They were a big uh, navy. And they went out to Africa with the intention to steal human beings who they could then say were the outgroup because they had dark skin. And they went there to get them to make them into slaves. And everything that follows from that, and soon after that, you know, 400 years ago, North America was established based on this slave labor of stolen Africans, And if you just look at the history of this 400-year period in North America, of the United States, which has led the way for this individualistic country, you know, it was done, number one, murdering the native peoples who lived here. It's The worst genocide in human history was the destruction of native peoples of North America by Europeans. Number two, Europeans kidnapping Africans. And then what do you do when you own a person? You have to... Act like, well, that's the out-group. How do you dehumanize them? You say, um, hmm, let's see. Uh, yeah, 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 that skin, skin color, that's right. Yeah, let's call that a race. Oh, uh, Yeah, they're dark, and that means they're not like me because I'm light, or you do something. So, So that was almost like a justification, a mental construction that gets embedded into culture. So we use the word race as if it's real, when in fact it's just a population variation of our species that in some locations it was really helpful to have a lot of pigment, and in some locations it was helpful not to have a lot of pigment, and that's the only difference. The genetic overlap of all humanity is incredible. That's why we can have babies with each other, and how much skin color you have or the different physical aspects of your face or whatever, that's incredibly minor. But the mind... Needs to know, are you with me or are you against me? And does this categorization. And as we've said, once it categorizes you're in my out group, if, you, if you're winning the baseball game, and here's the answer to your question let's go to that baseball game, right? At Fenway Park. I have a brain, you know, if you take a hand model of the brain, the higher thinking part is the top. The lower parts are where you evaluate stuff mm-hmm. down here in the middle, limbic area. And then deep is a brainstem for fight, flight, freeze, and faint. So the bottom line is if I'm now, you know, a Boston fan and I'm losing. I flip and my I, lid. <laughs> and, and I flip my lid. I stop my reasoning, right? So my morality disappears. Now I'm being driven. Maybe I've had a lot of beer or something like that. So this can also help flip the lid. But now I'm losing. Now under threat, it intensifies in-group, out-group distinction. Under threat, also when I flip my lid, no longer making Mindsight maps. I see a guy with a New York baseball cap. I have a bat, and I'm furious. I've got 50 million years of history of knowing who's the beta family, who's the alpha family. At this moment, I'm losing. I've become the beta family. But even though the alpha family is on the field winning, here's some dude with a New York hat who's in that alpha family who's totally vulnerable. I'm going to smash in his head.
0: bonus wonderful pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving so on top of all that they keep me feeling satisfied i'm energized while i'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today minus the sweet chili
3: and that's what i saw when i saw the video of george floyd being killed yeah is a human being who was dehumanizing another human being.
0: Yeah. So when you were talking about people wanting to um, state that the Holocaust was never real, you know, there are people who don't believe racism, you know, is real. There are people who don't believe a lot of things are real. Is that because they've shut that part off of their brain? Or is it because they really believe that?
3: Well, this is a great question. This is we could go on. For for hours like this, so let me let me say this: that um, first, the statement people say that racism isn't real. So when I said, just to really be clear about the science of it, that race is not biological. What I mean is that making the distinction that um, one person is black and another person is white makes no biological sense. It is a cultural fabrication that has huge Re- implications for reality so while race is not biological racism is a human creation to dehumanize other people once you categorize them in the outgroup, especially under threat so that's so so let's be really clear racism is real it's a pandemic mm-hmm. it has to be dealt with race is a mental construction okay so so that is that part The issue of, you know, why people would say, you know, racism isn't real or, you know, the Holocaust isn't real. Let's talk about white privilege for a moment. And I'll say this as someone of Jewish origin. When I've had people, even people, you know, in my extended family say to me, um, you know, uh, the Holocaust probably didn't happen. That's what I'm reading online. It probably didn't happen. I say, well, you know, tell me more about that. Well, look, there's no real evidence and it's just Jewish people um, trying to get some pity because they're not getting enough attention. And I'll say, did you really just say that? Well, isn't that the truth? And I'll say, well, how does it feel to you, the idea that a very civilized, in quotes, sophisticated civilization called the German people, could systematically collect, I and mean, let's just talk about the Jewish part of it. There's a lot more people were killed than Jews, but let's just talk about the 6 million Jews, could systematically collect 6 million people identified by their cultural background, systematically put them in trains, which we have documented, so you can't actually tell me it didn't happen, I say to them, you know, take them to camps, which we have documented, um, and then systematically put them in gas chambers and take their bodies out and then burn the bodies. Six million, not 60, six million. Uh, Help me understand how you can say that doesn't happen. So they say, well, come on, come on, come on. And I go, well, come on, are you feeling uncomfortable with this? And I think it's so uncomfortable to think that our species Mm -hmm. does this. And genocide isn't just in the Holocaust. You know, it it, it happens in Rwanda, it it happened in Cambodia. I mean, it happens all over the place. It's what we do as humans. Now that feels really uncomfortable. People I know, who I work with from Rwanda, when you see how people were getting along and then suddenly something shifted and then you had people destroying other people that before were taking care of their babies. When your brain goes, now you're the out group, everything changes. So I think part of the denial Part of it is just, so uncomfortable. Part of it is, you know, let's talk about white privilege because this is really hard, you know, being in this country um, where, you know, my great grandfather was killed because he was living in a little village where he was considered subhuman and wasn't allowed to live in the cities. And the czar would periodically send in, you know, men to, to soldiers to kill people in what's called a pogrom. And it was just systematically done, raping the women, killing the men. And this is just what's happening to these subhuman things called Jews, you know? So, you know, so to be here and be called white is, is, you know, on one level, it's like, what? You know, you're the majority and you're in power. And I'm going, wow, that was really fast. 80 years ago, we were slaughtered. Half the population of Jewish people were destroyed on earth. And now you're saying we're in the power. That's fascinating. But it's because of the color of skin in the United States. That's the big deal. How much pigment you have in your skin so look at this skin look how white it is I mean but in terms of the inner nature of identity it's like white privilege is so interesting and the reason I think people deny it and I've had dear friends where we'll sit down with everything going on and they'll say this white privilege thing is ridiculous these are white people and I'll say well what do you mean by that they go it's just this overblown thing everyone needs to work hard and to say I'm privileged And I said, well, that is completely what the privilege is all about, is that you are so privileged, you don't even have to consider that in this society, when you go out or when your child goes out, um, you don't have to worry that something's going to happen to you because you have a lot of pigment in your skin and some person in authority with a gun is going to consider you the out group and then maybe arrest you or mistreat you or kill you even. And he goes, oh, come on like this. And it's, it, it's an, uh, you know, to be a white person in the United States and to deny that is such a, an amazing cultural thing because I think it's so painful to say that some of what I have in this country is because of the pigment in my skin, not because of my efforts. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it's giving up your accomplishments. And I think that's a part of what it is. And it's also saying we collectively as a human family, have got to address this issue as a human family,
0: yeah. right? So, so if if the outgroup... Okay. We're all being... We're all in a moment where we have to listen, we have to learn, we have to, I believe, um, speak up and, and help in whatever way we can. But a lot of people are confused as to how to do this. And you talk about... Um, you know, integration and different ways to train our brain and create new new neuro pathways. I wonder, is there work that we can do to retrain the outgroup?
3: Yeah, I think there is
0: what would that be when you
3: when you say retrain the outgroup you mean you retrain this retrain our individual process. yeah
0: retrain our individual brains is yeah. there a way to identify whether we are outgrouping without knowing subconsciously yeah. and then is there a way that we can retrain our brains to to stop that or is it inevitable that there's an outgroup
3: yeah, I, there's there's definitely something you could do. Let me. I think my phone is thinking we're saying Siri, and it starts to communicate. So ah.
0: let, let me turn it off.
3: <laughs> That's so funny. We must have said something. It sounds like that. Um, yeah. So let's let's address that, and let me give you one story, which I think will help. Um, you know, there was a, a member of Congress who passed away recently named Elijah Cummings. And oh, Elijah yeah. was uh, an African-American gentleman from Baltimore, represented Baltimore, had been for decades in Congress, mm-hmm. um, had risen, you know, to be the head of, you know, all sorts of committees. Anyway, um, I was asked to go work in Baltimore because of all the murders It had the higher, highest murder rate in the country. And, um, and, and someone introduced me to Elijah, and Elijah and I started doing work together. And in one of the meetings where we were bringing the African-American community together with what you would call white people, so the black people and the white people, in, in terms of how you are racially identified, together in a room where they had never met each other before. So before we did a certain exercise, which I'll tell you about in a moment, you could feel the tension in the room. Like, we've never really sat with each other before. This doesn't feel good. And you just feel it. You can cut it with a knife. It was so thick. Then I have people do an exercise where these are people who never meditated before. It's a kind of reflective practice called the wheel of awareness, which allows you to basically distinguish the experience of knowing. Like if I say, good morning, Maria, you know, you have two things going on there. You have the sound good morning and you have the awareness of good morning. So in a metaphor of a wheel, we put the awareness, the knowing in the hub of that wheel we put the sound good morning on a point on the rim. And then we have a singular spoke you can move around. Anyway, it's a practice you can do from our website. And when you do the practice, what's amazing about it, and this is what happened. And I've done this in lots of, par- I did in the different parliaments like in London and in, in, uh, in Dublin and all, all sorts of places you can do this. in in one country, not those countries, but one country, a parliamentarian said when he got into the hub, there's a time when you get into the hub, he just felt so much love and so much interconnection. He had never felt it before. He was afraid to share it because he thought his fellow parliamentarians would think he was weak if he talked about love. So that's what happens in the hub. And I've done this now with over 50,000 people in person, in those days when we can meet in person. And the thing I want to say with the meeting with Elijah is once people did the wheel practice, took this spoke around to all the different things you can be aware of, what you hear, what you see, what you smell, what you taste, what you touch, what you feel in your body, what you have in your mental experience, like emotions and thoughts and memories and things like that, and even your relationships with others. And there's a time in in the middle of it where you bend the spoke of attention around into the hub itself, and people get this experience of connection, awareness, and love. Now, after they did the wheel practice, and Elijah just couldn't believe this, the feeling in the room was completely different. That human beings in their bodies, whatever the pigment level was, could look at another human being in their body and look at them with love and connection. And this interconnection wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna try my best to try to tolerate you. No, it was like, wow, I actually see you are me. We are each other. And it's kind of like the there's a forest in Utah called the Pando Populus Forest. And Pando Populus is the name of the quaking aspen tree. And when you go to this place, which I went with 50 religious leaders, um, you go there and there's like 57,000 what look like independent trees just sitting there in this grove. But when you go six inches beneath the surface of the soil, it's one root ball. And when you test the DNA, it's the same tree. It's just like us. We're like panda. We're Pando people. You know, we are, you know, nine going up to nine billion, but seven and a half billion now manifestations of one essence. But we just look at the surface and we think we're all different from each other. Mm. And especially when you get this categorizing of in-group, out-group. So what happened in the group with Elijah was people started talking to each other in a very different way because it was driven by love and connection. So you ask, what can you do? That's a 25 minute practice. I love that. And, and the research on practices like that, not the wheel, but other practices show it decreases what's called implicit racial bias. The non-conscious ways that we say, are you in my in-group? Are you in my out-group? If you're in my in-group, I'll treat you more, more nicely, mm-hmm. nicer. If you're in my out-group, I'm going to treat you with more hostility. That's what we know exists in all of us, implicit racial bias, doing a practice like the wheel or other practices that develop kindness as an intention, awareness that's open and attention that is focused. Those three pillars, kind intention, open awareness, focused attention. You can actually develop those and the research is very clear. It actually allows you to reduce implicit bias and to then sit in the hub, if you will, and go, whoa, I just classified Maria as an out group, you know, cause she's female and I'm male or whatever, you know? And I go, that doesn't make me bad. It makes me human. If I act on that, then that's not skill. That's immoral, right? That's not promoting integration, honoring differences, promoting linkages is what we see integration as. So for us, you know, um, it's about entering this way of being capable of distinguishing stuff that happens on the rim. And then you go, oh, I had an impulse to put my knee on this, you know, now captive person's neck. I don't think I'm going to do that, even though the impulse was there. Or like, you know, this training was done on a soldier who went to Afghanistan. And Jad did this research. And she says this incredible story. He learned these kinds of practices, mindfulness practices. And when he came back, he told the story that he was the head of one of his troops, when they entered a village, the villagers were coming at everybody with sticks, his soldiers. The soldiers picked up their guns and they were ready to boom, 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 shoot them. And this head of the troop, who had been trained in these mind training techniques, said, knees down. They went down on their knees. These villagers, just with their sticks, stopped. No one shot anyone. The villagers stopped. The soldiers stopped. He got up. No guns were aiming at anybody. The villagers backed up. They were just protecting their village. That's what we've evolved to do. Soldiers got up, backed away. No one was injured. And he said, had he not had this training, you'd say, oh, of course, they shot all the villagers. They were attacking them with sticks. You know, like attaching, attacking people with placards that say, mm-hmm. you know, say his name, George Floyd. And okay, let's shoot them. You know, I mean, it's just this whole in group, out group thing in this country now has gone wild dividing us up. When if we just got to that hub of that wheel, we would realize that love and connection are just there beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. That's what we need to do in this country. And we need leadership that helps guide us toward love, toward connection. And that's a scientific, I'm saying that as a scientist. That's what we need. That's what healing comes from. And that's where hope rests.
0: I love that. I feel like the officers, um, the LAPD and all of the police departments across the country who do get implicit bias training would so benefit from this wheel if they're not already using it because they're, they're in a position where they have to in and out group faster. It seems right. Because they're all about threat. And so if there is a way where you can retrain yourself or, or not retrain yourself, at least train yourself against those, you know, negative instincts um while also keeping the good ones that are going to protect you because there are going to be moments that are dangerous and you have to you know act on them i think it would be so beneficial but i love giving this piece of um i love giving this takeaway for everybody who's listening for 25 minutes to do this wheel and to to you know better ourselves we're going to put the link of that in the summary of this show and we'll social out it social it out as well um, because I think it's incredibly helpful for all of us. Um, I have to say, uh the book again is called Mindsight. It's incredible. Um, sometimes I had to read things a couple of times, to be honest. Mm. <clears throat> and one of the things I wanted to get to, I mean, I have so much I want to get to that we're probably gonna have to have a second session if you would be so kind. Sure, sure. Um, because you know, the current events are taking us in a different direction. I really I connected so much um, because I'm always wanting to learn more about the brain and how it works. And um, your first story you shared in this book, I felt like I was being spoken to because we're dealing with these things with my mom. And so my mom has uh glioblastoma.
2: Mm.
0: And um, when I read this, I was like, oh, my God, he's being put in my path for a reason right now. Um, this mom who had been in that accident and gone in the coma, um, Barbara, um, when you said that her children were like, she doesn't care about us. She, she's not, she's not the same. Um, that's how I describe my mom. Wow. And I, I wonder for everybody who's dealing with, um, you know, not just brain tumors, because there is brain damage that occurs from all different things. Just like she got in a car accident and hit her head and had brain damage. Um, you know, that when, when someone survives like she did, but they're not the same anymore. And someone like my mom and the other brain tumor patients that I'm helping, we all say the same thing. They're not the same person anymore. Um, and then our doctors will say, you know, it takes the you out of you. Um, how do you rebuild that? Because, yeah. and I also wonder your take on radiation of the brain, because I feel like I'm—I I don't feel—I know that she became different after radiation. Yeah. Um, and I'm very against it, um, because of that. So I wonder. Is there a way, I mean, you talk about brushing your brain and, and all these things, is there a way to really rebuild when someone has lost their motivation? And, and that could be part of the personality area that was affected. And you could tell what Barbara, she wasn't the same. And, um, in the book, is there a way to rebuild when someone doesn't have any motivation or any kind of awareness that there's something wrong to fix?
3: Yeah. Well, first, Maria, thank you for sharing the story, you know, and, and the personal part of it. How are you doing with that? Let me just start with that.
0: Oh, with it's horrible. Not You're mourning the loss of your mom every day. Yeah. It's incredibly painful. And I ask only because I know so many people who are going through the same thing and I don't know how to advise them. I feel like I've I've gotten so many things down. I really know. You know, one of the things I loved about the book was your journey becoming who you are. I want to hand you a Kleenex. (laughs) Thank (laughs) you. What I loved about your journey is you knew you didn't quite fit in Mm -hmm. and you followed your gut and you followed your instincts of who you really were and what you really wanted to do. And you carved out your own niche. And I think that's so incredible because you had empathy for these patients and you knew there was more to it than just let's sew them up, take out the bad, fix them and and ship them home. You know, there's an origin to these things that needs to be discovered. And sometimes it's emotional. um, Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes, you know, there's a combination of all of it. And I feel like I have figured out some of the flaws in the medical system as someone who has devoted her life to keeping her mom alive and so I know that I've propped up her immune system to handle all of the barrage of, you know, chemos and medicines so that she can survive and thrive, not just, you know, further deteriorate, right? If if a body is sick, in my opinion, if a body is sick, you just got diagnosed with stage four brain cancer. Now we're going to barrage it with chemo and radiation, all that, like the body's just going to just keep getting weaker and weaker. And that's why I believe people die. So with my mom, I kept flooding her system with amazing, you know, supplements and um clean eating and all these things intended to her emotional and spiritual wellness so that we could balance and keep her here. And it's been 4 years, it'll be this August mm. with glioblastoma, as you know is not easy. No. Um so I feel like you know, those those are the flaws is when you're looking at a patient and they're just a physical, it's just a set of symptoms. We just got to deal with it and move on. Um, so I, I really love what you have done. And I, I so connect with it because you are going deeper. And, and you know, there's there's nothing more interesting to me than the brain. And when you think about you know, even we talk about the mind-gut connection here a lot and um, and gut health when you think about the vagus nerve um, mm-hmm. and how important that is. And people don't know. And once you know better, as we talk about on the show, you get better. And yeah. um, the brain is, is so powerful. And once you lose some of it, you really realize that.
3: Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. And, um, you know, I, I I hope that these words I'm about to say uh will be helpful. And I'm really, really honored that the book um, spoke to you so directly and especially starting in page one of the book with the story of Barbara. You know, um, Barbara had uh, uh, three kids and, you know, I'm a child psychiatrist. um, And so I started with one of her kids and then had the whole family as my patient. And um, she had her own individual therapist, but the, the take-home message to address your question, Maria, about Barbara's experience is that um, – and it really – it's what made me, you know, in the long search of, you know, having been in medical school and dropped out and then tried to say, why are, why are professors in medicine ignoring the inner mental life of feelings and thoughts and stuff like that, and then going back to school and ultimately when, I, when, when Barbara and her family became my patients – to have the scientific understanding that you can have feelings, thoughts, and memories and not have the ability to be aware that you're having those thoughts and feelings as thoughts, feelings, and memories. That is, think about it this way. You can have a thought, but if you're having trouble with a part of your brain that is making a map that, oh, I'm Maria and I'm now having a thought about my mom or I'm having a thought talking to Dan or whatever, that is a, a step away. And it's I call it a mind-sight circuit. Other terms are theory of mind or reflective function or mind-mindedness or all sorts of things. That ability to say I am having a thought versus just the thought being there is a mind-sight ability. And in a way... Um, As Barbara ultimately said uh, later, and I talk about it, you know, in that chapter, you know, when I said, what is life like since this accident? And she was able to articulate amazingly that she had lost her soul. And this was such a profound experience to hear that. But also it's exactly what the kids had so painfully been struggling with. And maybe what you're experiencing with your mom. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so this is when we say someone is missing, you know, for her to say, I'm missing my soul. So in some ways this mind sight ability is literally at the heart of not just emotional intelligence and social intelligence, which it is, but it's also where the soul I think expresses itself. That is the capacity to say, here is an essence of me beyond just the particular thought or emotion or memory I'm having there is something that carries me forward and not only carries me forward, but it's the way I'm going to connect to you, my daughter, right? So when we lose the neural networks whose intricate spiderweb-like interconnections enable mindsight to happen, the person may still have thoughts, emotions, and memories, but they now have lost their mind-sight circuitry that's why the whole book is called Mindset, right? You know, and that when you lose that, as Barbara said, you've lost your soul mm-hmm. and other people can feel that. You feel that. More. Yeah. And, you know, now you're asking the, the next part of your question is, so what can we do? And everything I've been doing in these last few decades is to try to address that question. You know, how do we create more soul in society? You know, how do you build these mindset circuits in governments and in organizations or now what we're having in our country, even on the whole planet in schools? How do we build the soul back into the curriculum? Mm. You know, and this is this mindset approach we have. That's a whole nother story. Now we're talking about your individual experience with your mom. You point out very, very, I think, crucially that the inner motivation, sadly, when someone's lost their mindset ability, lost their soul, like perhaps if we summarize your mom that way and Barbara was that way, you need to harness the motivation to activate something called intention. And what intention does is it basically is the fuel that guides something called attention. And there's a very simple, you know, three-step thing that we can memorize that goes like this where attention goes neural firing flows and neural connection grows so the reason the wheel of awareness can work with someone with the motivation to harness the intention to get all the benefits from that practice which builds your soul basically you know is that you can now use your attention to drive energy to get neural firing to flow to get neural connections to grow. But if you can't do that sequence, then I haven't found a way, unfortunately, sadly I'm going to say this, this was true with Barbara. I just had didn't I couldn't find a way to get her to be interested in her kids inner life.
0: Yeah.
3: Their inner life was now invisible to her. She lo- she literally like someone who might lose their eyes, she lost the eyes of mind sight. So there was no more visual there. And sadly for the mom, even though she could articulate, I've lost my soul. There wasn't like a soul behind that that said, oh, that hurts so much. Let me try to do the work to try to get it back. Sadly not. Yeah. And so I, I wish I could say to you, everyone with a brain injury, whether it's from radiation or from the surgery of the tumor removal or in Barbara's case, you know, from a car accident or, you know, you know, a stroke or You know, all sorts of things can lead to literally brain injury. Um, You know, that can be really hard when there's no motivation. And that's very different from In later in the book. I talk about a 90-year-old whose name is Stuart. I call him Stuart, who didn't develop these mind-sight circuits from his childhood because of an attachment pattern. But those circuits were still, their potential to grow was still there. And if I could carefully get in a connection with him as his therapist and motivate him, even though he didn't think anything was missing to try to start doing this, where attention goes, neural firing flows, neural connection grows. You can see in that case, just the opposite of what happened with Barbara. He didn't have it to begin with, but he could grow it. And then you'll see if there was any way your mother would be helped. I would look at the chapter on Stuart, because that would be exactly the ways I would approach your mom and see if these you know they're basically realizing that mind has a dominant role in the right hemisphere and using nonverbal communication training using autobiographical memory training um, using these right hemisphere dominant things where you can do all sorts of things and if you just look at stewart's case see if that works with your mom and then let me know yeah. because it didn't work with barbara i tried through the therapist for her to try it and It just didn't work, so it never really changed much. But you know, with your mom, maybe there might be something. And I don't know which side of the brain was her tumor on, or where she getting radiation. There you go. So the right side. So the right side. You know, left and right work closely together, but they're actually quite distinct. And these mind sight circuits, you know, take in the signals from the body, which fills the lower parts of the brain with the input of emotion which then shapes basically how we also, through a set of neurons called mirror neurons, soak in the input from others Mm -hmm. and then make these mind maps in part based on that right-sided dominant input. And then we have autobiographical memory that's dominant on the right so that we have a sense of others, sense of ourselves, sense of the dynamic interaction that happens. And if that stuff gets, you know, the interconnected networks, especially on the right side of the brain, either get damaged or disconnected from each other, then a person just becomes very. Um, uh, the world is just like a bunch of objects without a soul. They they just become things you put on shelves or you know when when you've shut off your mind circuitry, you yourself just become kind of robotic. Yeah, and you just treat there. other people as if they're just going to deliver stuff for you and yes. not actually people.
0: Yes, that's all it is. Yeah, that's all it is. Get me this. Do that. Just just there. Just yeah, there. And,
3: you, and you become absent as a center of narrative gravity. Of, uh, there's a spa. The, the word spa is helpful to remember. You, Maria, have subjective experience. Your mom would not be seeing that. You, Maria, have a perspective, SP. Your mom wouldn't see that. You, Maria, would have a sense of agency. Your mom wouldn't see that. So yeah. that's the spa of the self, right? And Mindsight lets us see that. In one another and in our, you know in ourselves, and if the right side of the brain had the surgery done and and the networks were dismantled, and do uh, you know exactly where it, where it was this this tumor?
0: Yeah, it, it, I mean it definitely was on her personality area.
3: So right here, in the in the yep. prefrontal region. Yeah. So you know the story of Phineas Gage that uh, Antonio Damasio writes in a very powerful and painful book called uh, Descartes Error talks about the right-sided prefrontal areas where that tumor may have been. And, you know, um, so what I wanna say to you is take a deep breath. And what I said to the kids of Barbara, you know, your mom still loves you in her heart, but the pathway from the heart, literally in the chest, upward to the right side of her brain where then she could express that love to you has just been severed. So she still loves you, Maria she just can't express it and deep inside of her she may be able to feel you but she can't communicate that so you experience this absence then she just treats you like you're a delivery you know object
0: yeah i felt so bad for those kids because they're so young you know obviously i'm lucky i still even have my mom at this age you know 41 and so yeah it's just heartbreaking Because I keep trying, I keep trying with art, I keep trying with so many different things. And, you know, like I said, I, I think there's so many things in this book that have been so valuable, and that I want to be able to share with this audience. And of course, we're we're in a time where our discussion had to go a different way. But I had to get that in for people who I know are watching and um, wanting that information, because, you know, you try so hard. There are other patients. We all are on communication together and they're like, they're just, they just don't understand things anymore. They don't get it. And the, and the connection is lost and you're angry and you lose your patience and then you feel guilty. It's a very slippery
3: slope. It's a slippery slope. And Maria, here's the really powerful thing about what you're offering to everyone is that whether you're talking about the public issues or the personal issues, or guess what? Even the planetary issues. These are all on on a continuum. And if we identify this process, let's just call it mindset, you know, where we see each other's subjective experience, perspective, the point of view, and agency, just to memorize spa, subjective experience, the feeling of something, perspective. Each of us has a unique point of view that's part of the self subjectivity, perspective, agency, that you can feel like I can make a decision about my action, right? So the spa of the self becomes invisible when someone's mind sight is either damaged, as in your mom, and you can feel the loss. And I invite you to really consider going through a grieving process, not that that gets you to stop helping her, but just so you can feel that, this is real. What I'm, ex- I, Maria, I'm, I'm experiencing, and and let it be named. So you can, I call it name it to tame it. You know, yeah. but let it be named. This is grief. This is loss, and that will help you in your own resilience. Doing the wheel of awareness for you would be actually great to do too. And then you can feel that pain and and name it. Okay, my mom still loves me in her heart, but the pathway from her heart up to her right side of her brain is not working so well, so she can't experience it or express it right and so i let myself sit with that loss i'm going to do my own inner grief i feel like she's treating me just like a delivery object like a truck not a person driving the truck yes because her mind sight circuits are damaged okay let me understand that. i'll try certain techniques with helpful clinicians who might be able to use the chapter on stewart let's see if it works Mm. but if the if the you know if the tissue is not there it's hard to you know, do kind of sewing into tissue that isn't there to put it back together. So we want to be realistic about it, yeah. uh, but give it a try for sure. And then to realize in the discussion we've had, everything that went on about George Floyd is actually about the absence of sight at the moment when police officers were interacting with a the person they were apprehending. If they had had mindsight, they never would have done what they did. They wouldn't. And you go to the larger planetary issues of how we work with each other as nations or how we're treating all of living beings on earth so this pandemic is actually an opportunity and we have this community meeting that happens every friday where it's the personal experience of the planetary pandemic but now as we move forward we're making it the personal exploration of planetary possibility how do we find meaning in all the pain and disruption that's going on loss of lives and livelihood and move into a positive way of being. And so together, it's better, right? Better together, mm-hmm. you know, and and knowing that you got to start with the personal, like you've invited us to do, and then move into this larger arena of the public and the planetary.
0: I love that. Well, Dr. Siegel, we do have so much more to get to at another day. And I hope, I know you're very, very busy and we were lucky to even get you today. So hopefully we'll get to chat with you again, and go deeper into the book Mindsight. Um, Like I said, there's there's so much in here for people to learn from and to get a better understanding of themselves and other people that I find incredibly valuable. So thank you so much for your work um, and for sharing with us today.
3: Well, my pleasure. Thank you for all your work, Maria. And I hope that your listeners will take this in and find it valuable.
0: They will for sure. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. All right, guys.
1: He's Ooh. smart. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or as in Boston, we would say he's wicked smart. Wicked smart. Wicked smart. Yeah, I love him.
2: I, I, think that's, I think that's my new favorite episode. I know, it's, I know. It's just really cool. And it's like the the conceptuality of interacting with your mind and how you think. Like, yeah. I think there's something really interesting about saying the difference between you know the saying, I think, therefore I am? Yeah. But without the I, it becomes completely different. Like, think, therefore, am. Like, it's it's a different kind of mentality that people have. Like, Jeff being like, hey, I think that we should do this, as opposed to Jeff even conceptualizing himself as a person and just thinking of something. It's There's not a communication aspect of it. There's not a thought of how to deliver this to somebody else in a way that you're thinking of them as a person to communicate it. Mm-hmm. It changes everything when you get rid of the self. Yeah. And I thought his way of explaining it was really interesting.
0: I love the wheel. I, I I can't wait to do the wheel. And I really encourage everyone listening to do the wheel just to hear how that, you know, leader of soldiers in Afghanistan was able to de-escalate that situation. And you can just see it's it's it's, it does seem like um, an innate thing that we have mm-hmm. that we do. And so if we, um, if we can, as AJ even said yesterday, kind of retrain ourselves and, um, and put new tools in our tool, you know, bucket, um, you know, that's what this show's all about is getting more tools. And so we just got some incredible tools from Dr. Siegel or Dr. Dan. I don't know why I did that, by the way, it just happened. I loved it. It was like Dr. Dan. And then I'm like, wait, I should ask him permission. <laughs>
1: The really important thing I think he brought up that you're talking about too, Maria, is um, the fact that the outside of our wheel does have that reaction. It's so important right now for Americans to say, if I don't do this work, if I don't get into that hub, I'm a part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And you know, like the in-group, out-group thing, for him to talk about the fact that that's ingrained in us, that's a part of who we are, we need to start acknowledging this because that's how we're able to go deeper. So I'm so glad Dr. Dan is shining a light on the fact that the outside spokes of our wheel; those are causing the issues. Not until we go in and like really focus on the difference between our brain and our mind, that's how we're going to make a difference. Yeah,
2: I love it, Ryan. You're new to this. What are what are your thoughts on? Yeah, that? Ryan. What are your thoughts actually? I
1: mean, what an episode to be here for, right? Like an incredible guest. I thought he was so well spoken. The order in which he explained everything and broke it down. Just, like, going from something as simple as, like, pigmentation on your skin mm-hmm. and then uh, bringing it back to today, I just thought was really easy to follow yep. and also just made so much sense. Uh, like, what an important and incredible
0: guest. Yeah. He took us on a journey and really, like, from the very beginning, just built, built, built. And we were just following. We're like, oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. Like, it it really is. It makes so much sense. But, um, I, I just, I wanted to ask and I forgot to, but St- uh, Jeff, you'll remember next time we can get him on. Yeah, I wanted to ask him for someone who has studied the brain so much, right? And he knows all this stuff about how it works and how to kind of, you know, override, you know, these things like, does he still fuck up? like i know (laughs) i had a curse to make it you know powerful but like does he still lose his way does he still you know not have empathy in moments like i just want to know because i I was reading his book and i'm like oh that's it i'm gonna throw everything away and i'm just gonna start studying the brain and i'm gonna really just deep dive and just i have to become an expert i need to understand more because i just want to be i want to be better so bad at everything that i'm like well there's the the hub let's go there and then i'm like but i feel like you still <laughs> you still aren't going to be perfect um obvs, but
1: um i think he slipped his lid there's the one story of his kids and i so thought the story was going to be about how the kids flipped his lid yeah but when he was like it was actually me in that moment that flipped flipped his lid yeah but that's a part of why we have these me maps i don't know if you can tell maria that i'm so on board with dr siegel but if you really work on those maps of yourself yeah you can put the lid back on that's the big thing it'll flip but you know how to do the work to put it back on
0: exactly and that's what i was trying to get at is like i know people listening are gonna think that you know he's perfect and that you know everyone then everyone then disconnects sometimes from the message because they know they can't be that right and it's too much work to get there but at the same time, every guest we've have had in here, whether it's Gabby Bernstein or whoever, uh, G- Elizabeth Gilbert, they all say the same thing. We all have our human moments, mm-hmm. no matter how much we've been trained and no matter how much we know and no matter how much we're the guru of whatever. Um, but I always like asking and hearing the answer to that. Um, but I, I just you know, I, I really was obsessed with his journey. And so anyhow, we'll get to know more about the journey in the next episode we get to do with Dr. Siegel. If you want more information, you can go to the mind site Institute. It's a Santa Monica based Academy founded by Dr. Siegel and it teaches his revolutionary methods. Um, there are courses, retreats so much more. I would love to do a retreat. That would be badass. Uh, so go to the mind Uh in the meantime, thank you again for joining us today. Have a great weekend. Um and uh Ryan, I hope you enjoyed your time here today. Very much so, of course. I I feel like you might be here more. Steven, are you training him in there?
2: Yeah, I'm trying to trying to leave. I'm like I'm done with you. Peace out. (laughs) I just need I need somebody who can can you're in my out
0: group. Peace out. I just
2: like (laughs) I like Jeff. Being in the booth, so I don't want, or being in the in the office. office, so like I don't want. If I ever have to not be here in the morning, like I don't want to have Jeff in the booth. Mm, he yeah. won't have like the great posters behind him. We won't be able to rep your books. Yes, we won't be able to put the better together tattoo on his forehead in exchange for a company car. This, like,
0: okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. On get
2: the
1: it? emergency call,
2: we have to keep Jeff in the out group
0: chiefs in the out group. Okay, well, uh, I do have to say, Monday we have uh, a returning guest that we love, and another brainiac, uh, memory expert Jim Quick will be with us. Uh, Ooh, do you very... remember the?
2: Do you remember the foods and fruits? Yes. Can you can you go through it
0: later? My brain's foggy you today. The spot. I'm no, <laughs> I do know all of them. I just I'm so foggy and I'm tired. Anyway, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, you can follow us at Maria Menunos at Dr. Dan Siegel at jeff crane graham at steven lemieux photo at ryan nielsen
1: ryan nielsen r-y-n-i-l-s-e-n
0: let's just throw that in and remember be nice people make good choices and be present